Well, we find ourselves today back in the book of Colossians, chapter 2. And we are looking at three verses today, 8, 9, and 10. And it says this, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. Beware lest philosophy and empty deceit cause you to stumble, cause you to be filled with thoughts that are just so opposite of the Bible and of Christ. Well, this week, uh, the news came out about a pastor survey of a thousand pastors in America trying to get a good poll, if you would, a good sense of what's going on in the Christian churches in America which typically is a little better than England or, or Australia or Canada or Europe. And uh, we're usually the more conservative, all those various countries where Christianity, but uh, it doesn't look good. And Franklin Graham made comments, mentions on, on this, uh, the American Worldview Inventory. They do their annual report on Cultural Research Center there in Arizona Christian University. And here's what we discover. Evangelist Franklin Graham reacted this week to a shocking survey data showing more than one-third of senior pastors purportedly believe good people can earn their way to heaven. And Graham lambastingly some of the findings as false teachings. I don't know which thousand pastors this group surveyed, but the results are concerning. Graham tweeted Monday, 39% of evangelical pastors, they asked, said there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. He added, what a lie. Graham's strongly worded response came from the pastoral survey that was published by the American Worldview Inventory of Annual Report of the Cultural Research Center of Arizona Christian University. At least one-third of respondents also said they believe the Holy Spirit isn't a person and is instead a symbol of God's power, presence, or purity, with at least the same proportion preferring socialism over capitalism. At least one-third also believe having faith matters more than which faith you have, whether it's Allah or whoever, it doesn't matter. As long as you have faith, that's all that matters. Perhaps most stunning, though, is that 39% figure Graham cited as that the percentage of evangelical pastors who reject the idea of absolute morality and believe individuals get to determine their own truth, as Christians post-reported. In an age of moral chaos confusion, their statistics are deeply troubling, which is something Graham underscored as he warned of the impact false beliefs on the body of Christ. The survey also said that 30% of evangelical pastors do not believe their salvation is based on having confessed sins and accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. He continued in another tweet, 
This kind of false teaching is what is leading people and churches astray. Graham concluded his tweets on the matter with passion, passionate defense of the gospel. The Bible is God's word from cover to cover, he wrote. It is the absolute truth. It is what counts, not our opinions. As Faithwire previously reported, alarming data on American pastors' beliefs in nothing new. Earlier release data from the Cultural Research Center revealed 30%, only, only 37% of U.S.-based pastors hold to a biblical worldview. That means 64% of the churches are teaching spurious teachings, not the truth. So when we see the, exactly what the Bible said in the last days, there would be apostasy, a falling away. Well, it didn't necessarily mean from church. It meant falling away from the truth. Because if you go to church full of lies, it doesn't count that you went to church. <laughs> the whole point of going to church and teaching the Bible is that you walk away with absolute truth. But it doesn't exist, which is illogical completely. And so when we look at Christendom across America, and then you say only 37% of those in church this Sunday are hearing the truth and hearing conservative beliefs on the Bible, on God, on whatever the doctrine is. It is, well, it really it sort of explains a lot, doesn't it? Because <laughs> Satan didn't get more Satan. He didn't get more evil. He didn't get more powerful. So the only reason darkness is here is because the light is not shining as brightly. And so all we can do is like Elijah before us, just say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And we'll go out against the Jezebels and the Ahabs of the world and proclaim the truth. Well, that's right on point. This article this week, right on point of where we are in the scriptures. We've been studying that in him, in Jesus, in Christ Jesus our Lord, is the answer. In Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Colossians 1.19, for it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell. All the universe consists, holds together. Jesus is the glue, and he is the fullness in that creation. Every wave that you hear, every star that you see, every time you drink a glass of water or breathe air, it should all be giving glory to God. And indeed, it does. We looked last week at Colossians 2, verse 16, 6 and 7 is where we ended there. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Had a great time in that verse. One of the most important verses in the Bible, really. And then he goes on to say, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So Jesus is our all in all. <laughs> he is all we need. I love that song today. He is our all in all. I, I was like, wow, that's awesome. That perfectly ties into my message. Jesus is our all. If you have Jesus, you have all. If you have Jesus, you need no more. I, I love that at the end of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, where he says, 
we are yours. All the teachers, apostles are yours. The earth is yours. God is yours. What else do you need? I don't have to own a house on the beach. We own all the beaches. I can just go down to the beach, sit there, and I own it. (laughs) I don't have to have a, a cabin in the mountains. I can just go to the mountains and walk around them. The earth is the Lord's and all that's in it, and I can experience Jesus there. And, of course, one day we will be actual possessors in the millennial reign of a much better earth than now. All electric cars in the millennial kingdom, yes. <laughs> Sorry for my sarcasm. But, um, yeah, it's in, it's in Christ. When people are feeling empty, when they're, they're feeling down, the answer isn't more for you. It's you pressing into Christ. That's always the answer. I'm feeling empty. You're going to feel filled, complete, when you're in him. The reason you're feeling incomplete is not because you need more of things on the earth. It's because you need more time, more focus, more passion, more of the word, more of prayer, more of fellowship with Christians. The answer is in Jesus. It really is. And I'll tell you what, I've done a lot of counseling in the 40 years I've pastored. And pointing people to Jesus, I was taught early on as an intern at a church, the, the guy told me, we're just traffic cops. People come with whatever the problem is, and we point them to Jesus. How do you connect with Jesus over that issue? You need to, having marriage problems, well, sir, you need to learn how to love your wife as Christ has loved you. Go study how Christ loves you, and then love your wife exactly that way. You see, the answer is in Christ. It sounds simple, I know, to the, the, the world system. But Jesus is our all, and he's all we need. Whatever the question is, no matter how deep, how difficult, it's in Jesus. In Colossians 2.3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's not in a book. It's not in some philosophy. It's actually in Christ. It's in a relationship with him. Do you understand? It's like owning a car without gas. If you don't have a relationship with Christ. Remember the Pharisees thought they were the closest to God. And and Jesus said, no. You, You guys have created this religion and you say it's God's, but he is not pleased in it. Your, your, your ways are death. Your, your, your ways are burdening people. You're like a whitewashed tomb with dead men's bones in it. And this is the way people can live. They're born again. They believed on Jesus. They're Christians. And they're, they're complaining that their car's not going anywhere when the only way that car is ever going to work is in Christ. So... As we are here today and we're thinking about false teachings of the Gnostics, of the Judaizers, the various mystery religions that they were fighting at this time, Paul ended by saying in Colossians 2.5, rejoicing to see your good order, your steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So he said, you guys are standing strong right now, but you need to continue to stand strong. I was talking to a pastor this week. And one of his leading youth, somebody directed him to some reformed theology. And, and he started secretly studying this. And 
off he went to a Reformed church. This was many months ago. And, and now he went into this intellectual thing and this academia of, of this Calvinistic thinking. And, and with seven months, either one of two things happened. Typically, they're like, well, if I'm destined to go to heaven, I'm going to get there. I don't need to go to church or pray or read the Bible. If I'm not destined to go to heaven, if it's not determined already, then it doesn't matter. I'm going to make it no matter what. So why live for God? And they just spit out, no longer walking with the Lord. Or they say, believing in God is ridiculous because God's already destined whoever's going to hell, who's ever going to heaven. And, and man really has no choice in the matter. And this is, again, uh, the argument that most atheists make when they try to defame God. And again, it, it's just heartrending to see some of the strongest Christians get caught up in spurious doctrines that lead them away from connecting with Jesus and not closer to Jesus in the word and in the fellowship. But now he, he says, even though you're standing firm, steadfast in your faith, I still need to say to you, Beware, lest any one cheat you through philosophy, empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principle of the world, and not according to Christ. So several different ways people connect to these empty deceits. The word beware is actually a present imperative. It's a command. I'm commanding you to be on guard, to be on the alert. And then it's in the present continually. Warning. So sometimes, uh, especially certain passages we're teaching through, I'm constantly warning, and you're like, man, uh, church just sound, sort of sounds like you're being negative every week, um, talking about all of the uh, false doctrines that are out in the world. What's up with that? Well, I'm commanded by God to do that. I'm commanded by God to say, if there are certain heresies and philosophies that are spurting up, I'm supposed to prepare you, shine your armor and sharpen your sword so you can see the difference. One of the reasons that we need to be, help people beware and be concerned is Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. In 1 Peter 5.8, be sober. Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Also, we're not looking at a devil with horns and a tail. <laughs> but it says in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen to 15, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming them themselves into the apostles of Christ. No wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So Satan's bag of tricks, one of them is to make his false ideas incredibly beautiful to our senses. The Mormon church does this well, don't they? They try to have this shell of saying, man, we're, you know, we're all together. Once you become a Mormon, you, your life will be so smooth after that because we're all family-oriented and all this. And, uh, and where they have the choir, the massive choir that sings so beautifully. And they, they try to come as this light. And then their apostles are telling you, 
Jesus is one of an infinite amount of gods. Him, he happens to be the God we're dealing with because he's the God of this planet. But Jesus used to be a man on another planet. And there he proved himself as a good Mormon. And after he died, he went to the third level of heaven, which means his, his God, Elohim, gave him the ability to be God of his own planet. And so with you. If you're a good Mormon till the day you die, someday your wife will be with you for eternity. Her, her job is to infinitely have babies. Yeah, heaven is often not great in cults for uh, women. You, you know, whether it's the Muslim religion or Mormon. Is, yeah, women are like, dang, why am I a Mormon? I... <laughs> but it's really not important about the women, you see. It's about the guys. We're going to be God, women, you're my baby factory. And, and once you populate, get enough babies in the infinite pool of souls, which again is impossible. You can't have an infinite pool of souls and even take one. That's another story uh, for another time. But then you'll populate your own planet with your own babies and, and you will be the God of that planet. Yeah, I, I tried to tell Mormons. The other day I was trying to tell a girl. She goes, oh, I'm a Mormon. She had tattoos all over and her hair was, she goes, you can tell I'm not a good Mormon. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> and then I told her, well, there really isn't anything such as a good Mormon. There's only deceived Mormons. And I tried to tell her what Mormons believe. And, and she's like, that's crazy. They don't believe any of that. It's like, yeah, you didn't go to the Mormons just very long, but... Is that right? Okay. So in the same here, we, we see that, that this is how Satan works. Very charismatic people, very amazing people. And yet they deceive, whether it's a few, a small cult, or millions for centuries. Then also we need to help people beware because wolves are amongst us. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing and inwardly they're ravenous wolves. So Satan's plan is to bring people into the church and probably to be undercover for a while, get you know inside and do things for people and help people and, and, and seem to be on the same plane with us. But the whole time, they're actually a transplant from the devil to divide and conquer. Six things God hates, yea, the seventh is an abomination. Paul talks about this in Acts 20, verse 29 to 31. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul says, once I leave, there's going to be a covering that's also gone because of my maturity. Satan knows he can't get this, this garbage past me. But once that I'm gone and that covering is gone and, and, and you guys are on your own, I know Satan's immediately going to see that as a weak time in the church and run people in there. Also amongst yourselves, not just from outside, but also amongst yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So a big part of Paul's pastoring as three years of pastoring, only place we know he stayed that long. He said the whole time I kept warning you, telling you, 
this false teaching. And, that, and there was a lot of them in that culture of that day. We have a few in ours today, but they're still very effective. And then also, uh, beware of self-righteous people. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 16, 6. He said, take heed, to your, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He goes on in Matthew 16, 12. They understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And their doctrine was they were righteous by their own works. And that your good works are, are what's going to help you uh, be right with God uh, for salvation. And then we especially need to be warned in these last days. In these last days, if you would, Satan's on a chain, okay? He, he's controlled by God, but God's going to let out several yards of that train. And the doctrines of demons and the power of Satan is indeed going to be able to reach further than it's ever reached in history. And so in 1 Timothy 4.1, the Spirit expressly says, emphatically, jumping up and down, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy 3.13, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and themselves being deceived. They're, they start believing their own lies. In 2 Peter 3.3, 3, knowing this verse, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust. So Paul says, I'm warning you to not be that anyone should be cheat, should cheat you. This word, to cheat, it's a word that's rare, but it literally means to take somebody captive, like in war or the spoils of war, mainly to make you a slave, to enslave you. So this is the plan. These false teachings, you're like, ah, you know, you believe that, you believe that. We just all need to love each other and it's all good, you know. It doesn't really matter exactly specifically what you believe as long as you, you know, have a heart of faith and sincerity. That's all that God really wants, you know. It's like a wheel with all the spokes and God's in the middle. So whether you come through Hinduism or the Muslim religion or uh, through Christianity or, or Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, whatever, we all get to the hub together. We're all going to be happy believers. We all had faith, and we're all going to be sincere in heaven with God. Well, the question is very simply this. Jesus in the garden, blood was coming out of the sweat pores, saying, Father, if there's any way for this cup to pass, let it pass. And the Father said nothing. Angels were set to minister to Jesus, but the answer was no. There is no other way men from Adam into the future will ever make it to heaven. Not one. Unless you die on the cross, paying for the sins of the whole world. Now, let's say that Jesus died a horrible, gruesome death, and he rose again, and the Father says, yeah, you know, I might have fudged the truth a little bit. You're actually 699 ways of getting saved. Wonderful, Jesus. You made one more extra way that man can be saved. What's that make Jesus? A doof. But you know what? It makes the father evil. If a father gives his son to be tortured to death, Without there being a reason, it's, it's wicked. It's evil. 
Jesus looks stupid and the father is evil. So if, if I see a drunk guy in the road and a car is coming and I jump out and push that guy out of the way and I get hit by the car and killed, I'm a hero. But if I take my 10-year-old son and pick him up and throw him into the drunk guy and the drunk guy gets knocked out of the way and my son gets killed, I'm a murderer. This is why God couldn't make a man or God couldn't make an angel. God himself had to come and die. Christianity either is a story of a hero of the son willingly giving his life or it's a story of a monstrous evil God who made his son die. It's one of the two. But you cannot say, Oh, Christianity is such a wonderful story, and Jesus had so many great things to say, but there's other ways. No. If there is another way, then Christianity is not only false, but it's evil. It's an evil religion. And you go back and read the Gospels, and does that sound like the morality, the teachings of an evil, duped person? Or does it sound like a hero, an amazing man? So again here, we need to understand that they're trying to take you captive. And it can, you know, it's like if I give you a plate of food and I just say, oh, by the way, there's one, only one drop of strychnine. Are you going to put that plate in front of your kids? No, one tiny drop is all it takes to kill your kids, right? In the same way, if you can be convinced there's more than one way for a man to be saved, then you have poisoned that person away from having faith in Jesus alone. Jesus said very clearly, I alone am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus either told a lie, because he's all prideful and arrogant, thinking he's the only one that can get people to heaven, or that's the truth. But all you have to do is be told, to open up going, oh, well, you know, so-and-so was a Buddhist, but he was such a kind, sincere person. Yeah, we're made in God's image. It's amazing how beautiful man is, having been made in God's image. But the truth is, we're all sinners, and we must be saved. And then he goes on to say, being cheated through philosophy. Now, the word philosophy in of itself is fine. It's philo, love, uh, sophia, which is wisdom, a lover of wisdom. I hope we all are lovers of wisdom. But in this case, it is talking about the philosophies of men. And again, the Gnostics of this day, this was their whole claim to fame. The mystery religions of this day, the whole, their whole claim was there is a higher knowledge that you'll never get to being a Christian. And how you get there and come and listen to our guru or whatever. It was funny. Shirley MacLaine talking one time in an article. And, and she basically went around her house and showed this is from the Buddhist religion. This is from the Muslim religion. This is from the Kabbalah religion. This is from Eastern religion. And, and she was so proud that she had the bases covered. She believed in everything, which really meant she believed in nothing. But again, this is the idea, is that we have so much extra knowledge. And 
Today, a very common philosophy is quit being this narrow-minded Judeo-Christian and open up to see that every religion has something to offer you. That's the Shirley McCain doctrine. You can learn things from the Muslims. You can learn things from the Hindus. If, if you're willing to have an open heart, you, all religions have something special from God that we need to know. And that's why I embrace, or like Gandhi, I embrace everything. Well, you can't embrace Christianity. It's a, a monotheistic religion that says we're right and nobody else. The same with the Muslim religion. We're right, nobody else. Same with the Catholic religion. Same with the Mormon religion. We're only only ones right. If you don't agree with us, then you have nothing. So even the idea of accepting all these religions, they don't even allow it within their religion. But again, and then it says, goes on and talks about the traditions of men. Boy, Jesus talked a lot about this. This is where man's, Methods over and over and over again are now um, basically saying it's truth just because we've said it over and over again. You know, the, the Lord helps those who help themselves. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Um, I remember a guy one time coming up, a fairly new Christian, and he goes, Where? Now, I was trying to show my friend, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Where is that in the Bible? I said, I said, it, it's not true, but it's also not in the Bible. He goes, I think it should be in the Bible. So the next week he came back, and sure enough, in the back of a Bible, he had written it in there. It's in my Bible. And I'm like, oh, doesn't make it true just because you wrote it in there. But he was quite a character. And then, of course, the, the religion itself. When we think of the traditions of men, it's the religion itself. Jesus talks about a story in Mark 7 where they, they, they had invented this ceremonial washing, unless you did it exactly this way. When we go to Israel, I'll take you to one of the mills there. All the mills have these ceremonial buckets of water, and, uh, or bowls of water, I should say, usually really nice ones. But you, you take it, and you, you do this hand, and then that hand, and then you put your hands together, and you tilt it back, and then you go forward, and then you wring it. Now that's clean. So it wasn't the positive enough clean hands. It's they didn't go through this little ritual. And, and so the Pharisees are saying they're eating with unwashed hands. That means they're unclean because their hands were unclean. And, and Jesus just bites into them, saying that you guys are having doctrines of men, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, making it sound like it's the commandment of God. But in order to keep many of your commandments of men, you actually have to go against the actual commandments of God. You'll find that in every religion. You know, in Matthew, it clearly says, call no man father, but God alone, referring to a spiritual leader. But yet, the Catholic Church does that. Call, you know, um, you, you go through so many of the scriptures and, and it's just they out and out contradict the tradition, but they're like, hey, the tradition is more important than the Bible. That's where they have to come to. And they do. Boy, false science today, man, whether it's evolution or now the transgender thing, it's absolute insanity, un illogic to the nth degree. But now if you don't go along with it exactly the way they want you to go along with it, and let me tell you, when people are... are Militant like that, they will always raise the bar. Okay? It's not about just homo. 
you know, accepting homosexuality is, is a normal thing that people are born with. Now it's going to be transgender. Then it's going to be, and believe me, look in the last three years. They went from having, you know, even in their world of having uh, genders, it's now an infinite amount of genders. They actually had to put a plus sign at the end of the LGBT community. They had to put a plus sign because we're evolving, and, and because of evolution, we're evolving into a superior being, and the superior being is where we can have sex with anybody and everybody, and, 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 and my brain is evolving in this wonderful way that even though I was born a man, I'm really a woman, and, and we have the science to fix that now. And this is wonderful, and we need to start teaching this to kindergartners. And they, they need to know that at five years old, all about sex and, and, and my sexuality as a teacher. It's, it's insanity. But yet, let me tell you, when people listen to the philosophies by very delightful people, that basically there is a sense of freedom. If you say, get away from God, I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, how I want. Whew, there's a peace. Not a peace of this world but a piece of our rebellious flesh. Satan, as long as he can mar the image of God, he doesn't care what it is. He doesn't want God's image clear on this planet. And with a man and a woman not having sex until marriage and having sex in marriage and having their kids, the, the, the home of a heterosexual group Raising their family, it's the image of God. And that is the strong roots of any society. But Satan wants to break that. So divorce is at 51%. Let's crack that. Divide and conquer. Now we make divorce a common thing that we do every other week. Now let's split the family. Okay, now let's take away um, heterosexuality and, and break it into homosexuality. That's not enough. We need to break it into many, many other things infinitely until we can just chop this thing up so there can be no foundation and no strong layers anywhere within the nuclear family anymore. And that's how we'll collapse the society. And that's exactly where uh, a dictatorship-type government comes in and says, yes, you're right. Those aren't really your kids to begin with. They're ours. And we're going to raise them up with our mentality and then turn them into soldiers and conquer the world. So, again, evolution and atheists, it, it just, it's ridiculous to believe that such form came out of uh, itself. You know, I mean, you ask a, a scientist, so in the beginning was what? Space. Where did the space come from? Then there was matter. Where did the matter come from? Then there was this big bang. Well, where did energy come from? Something had to come from somewhere. But out of never order at all, just an explosion, all this order came. Incredible detailed order happened. It created itself. It really comes down to in the beginning was a who or in the beginning was a what. But either way, you have a God. In atheism, in the beginning was a what? And that what had no mind, had no thinking, but yet it designed. Have you ever driven by a field and seen a tractor and say, I wonder how long it took for that tractor to evolve in the field? 
No, anytime there's a design, even if it's a tiny little arrowhead, a rock with little chunks out of it, that's it. I pick up this rock and it, it, it's, it's got a sharp point and, it, and it's got this pyramid look angle with a little stem. I don't, I don't say that the, it evolved over 10,000 years or 10 billion years. A man designed and made that for an arrowhead. And it says, there's a funny poem that says, once I was a tadpole beginning to begin, then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. I evolved into a monkey in a banyan tree. Now I'm a professor with a PhD. <laughs> Romans 1, uh, Romans 1, verse 22 to 23 says this, because although they knew God, everybody knows God, they have to deny that. They did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. That's it. And then in their futile, they began futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of an incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Boy, did he nail our generation of evolutionists. And then he said, according to the basic principles of this world, the word basic principles is also translated elementary. Uh, we, we see this in a, in a few passages like Hebrews chapter 6, where it says you guys are having to learn again the elementary principles of Christ, learning the foundations of repentance, dead works, faith, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrections. You guys are back in, in kindergarten. And this is what he's saying. They're trying to Say everything you know. I, I know you've been raised in the church, and it's easy to do this with Catholics or, or people that have nominally been taught anything about God in the Bible, and, and even many uh, Protestant churches that way. You go to church, you sing a bunch of hymns, they go through a liturgy, they read a couple of verses that nobody really pays attention to, and the pastor better not talk more than 15 minutes, or he'll get fired and we'll get a new one. And so he says, pet your dogs, and Love the planet and love yourself and, and, and it's the same message every, every week that really says nothing but is supposed to make people feel good and, and you don't learn the Bible. Well, again, they're, they're basically saying what you know, scratch it. Let's take you back to the foundations. Now here is the truth. Paul talks about this with the, the Galatian Christians that the Judaizers there were trying to Take away from them. The, take them back to the beginning. And Paul says, no. You as a child, you learned the law. And the law made you its prisoner. And you realized you could not keep the law. But in the rightness of time, you broke out of being a child into manhood. And then you learned that you were saved by faith in Jesus and his work, and you got out under the law. Don't go back under the law. Don't go back to the elementary principles of the world, Paul says in Galatians 4. Now, in context here, this is interesting, because in the Gnostic belief, this he uses several words in verse 8, 9, and 10, of very ones that Gnostics used. And the Gnostics believe that the elemental principles of this world is all matter is evil, all spiritual things are good. So God, way out there, the true God, is 
never near anything material. But then there's this strata, this level of many angels, various levels, and they had names and their job descriptions, and they had all kinds of information about these supposed angels, these angelic spirits. And the lowest angelic spirits created the earth because they're not very good spirits, and they made the matter, and the matter is evil. But the higher-ranking angels, they never would have made anything because they're holy. So in their way of thinking, if Jesus did make the world, then he's one of the lowest ranking angels. But they don't believe he did. He did. He's up there next to God. He's holy. And when Jesus came to earth, he was not. He looked like he was a man, but he was really 100% spirit. So if you had walked behind Jesus on the sand, you would have saw that he left no footprint. And did he really die on the cross? It was all an emanation is what they called it. It's an emanation of Jesus doing this. He really didn't bleed. He didn't really die. And guys, you cancel those things out. You cancel out Christianity altogether. And then he says, again, not according to the basic principles of the world. He talks about these down in verse 20 to 23 of Colossians 2. Let me read that. We'll be there in another couple of weeks. But it says, therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic prince of the world, why are you living in the world? Do you subject yourself to regulations? Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle, which all concern the things which perish in the using according to the commandments of the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom and self-imposed religion, false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. So it's amazing when you look at all these various religions, they always try to get you to become a vegetarian or to have this diet or that diet. And, and then they say, don't touch that. Don't be a part of that. Don't shop there. Don't shop there. You, you got to be in this way and what you eat and how you eat it and what day you eat it and what day you don't eat it. There's all these rules that always come into play, focusing again on me and my body. And the point is here at the end of verse 8, it's not according to Christ. The bottom line is these false religions are looking to something or someone other than Jesus. They get your eyes off of Jesus. They all minimize Jesus. Think about this a minute. Mormons say Jesus is one of an infinite amount of gods. Jehovah's Witnesses say Jesus was an angel that became a god with a small g, not Jehovah with a, a big g god, but a smaller g. So Jesus is a god, sort of really an angel that sort of got elevated. The Catholic religion wants to leave Jesus either on the cross looking pathetic or in the arms of Mary, dependent upon his mother. They do not want to make Jesus appear as we see him throughout the New Testament. Whatever the religion, you will find. Muslim religion, he's just one of the prophets. People can't ignore Jesus because his teachings are so transformative, so powerful, they can't ignore that they exist. But they try to minimize who Jesus is. So listen to verse 9 now. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Once again, in Jesus. In him. The personal relationship with Jesus. The daily walk in him, with him. 
The question is, do you know Jesus personally? Do you walk with him and talk with him and laugh with him and cry with him? Are you experiencing Jesus right this moment? I love the way Paul said in Acts 17, 28, for in him we live and move and have our being. But what does it say who Jesus is? Is he one of the angels in this level of angels? Is he one of the angels next to God in heaven? Exactly what does Jesus have in power? And Paul says, no, in him the fullness dwells. Jesus explains this to one of his apostles when he said, I'm going to go away. And then in verse 5 of John 14, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have known me, you have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said, I have been with you so long, yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? So if you would, the substance of God, the Lord our God is one Lord. The substance of God is by his revelation to us in three persons. God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit. One God, but any one of them breaking apart has that substance. So the Holy Spirit by himself has the full substance of God. The Father has the full substance of God. Jesus the Son, even though he came in human flesh, still was 100% God, the fullness of God. And notice not only he says the fullness of God, but he actually says the fullness of the Godhead. Here it is, mentioning the three distinct persons within the triunity of God. And then it says, in him dwells all the fullness of that Godhead. Now, again, this word fullness, we've seen it a couple of times now. It was a very important word in Gnosticism. The word polarima. This word polarima, in their thinking, it was the describe the word, but the word is, is really an emanation. I can't really explain it, they would say. But once you understand these emanations, then, you, then you'll, you'll understand the polarima, you'll have the fuller knowledge of God. And again, this normally happened in the mystery of, of you know, you got to get to a certain level before we can explain that to you. It's interesting in Scientology. Oh, you're not at this level. You're at this level. You can't skip a level. You got to pay 30000 and then you can get to that level. But with all these cults, you got to go up the chain of the levels. And here, Paul is saying there is no levels going on. There's no levels of believers. There's no level of angels. It's simply when you come unto Christ, you not only have the Messiah, you have God the Father because he brings us into fellowship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he doesn't just say, in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead and in that Godhead is the fullness of God, but he says bodily, form, flesh and blood. This flies right in the face of the Gnostic heresies. Because in true Christianity, Jesus came into human flesh and will remain the God-man forever. Do you understand that? 
that Jesus was incorporeal, or incorporeal. He wasn't made of matter. He was spirit, God is spirit. But when Jesus came to earth, he came into human flesh. And the Bible says he remains that way for eternity. Now, he doesn't have a human flesh like you and me. He has a resurrected human flesh. And the Bible repeats over and over that we will resurrect just as Jesus resurrected. He is the first fruits of all who believe. So as Christ's new body, an earthly body, but now heavenly, a new heavenly, a new human type body. Now the difference is, is we're made, we are humans, we're finite beings. I was made in 1960. That's when my spirit was made, and that's when my body was knitted in my mother's womb. And I'm going to be this human man, and when I go into my new body, I will forever be the human man. But Jesus has always been God. <laughs> when Mary came to be birthed as a, a virgin, the infinite God lived in her. If I could rip my flesh open, you would see my spirit and see uh, it was made in 1960. But if Jesus were to open up his flesh, you would have been vaporized because no man can see God and live. He was the infinite God in human flesh. And so he is in human flesh and now he's resurrected, but he is God in human flesh for all of eternity, which is again, should be amazingly humbling for us that not only God came and dwelt amongst us, but that he now will dwell amongst us in human resurrected body for all of eternity. This is an important doctrine again, that if you change it, you change Christianity. And the Gnostics were hard fast that all matter is evil. And if Jesus is God, he could never have been truly matter. And yet, if Christians think, well, let's come on, lighten up. He's God's spirit. Uh, spirit. I, I was raised in a denomination. I went to a college, and they did not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. And they're like, ah, oh, come on. Does it really matter whether Jesus raised uh, up in body or not? It, it completely changes the truth of God. In 1 John 4, listen to what he has to say about this in verse 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. But every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Wow. Which you have heard and was coming and now is already in the world. There's always been a remnant of this satanic cult that's going to appear. But the Antichrist is going to start a one-world religion. And no doubt he will start chipping away at the foundational truths. Virgin birth never happened. Bodily resurrection never happened. Jesus fully being God never happened. The Bible being the inerrant word of God is full of mistakes. And once they chip away at the foundations of the truthfulness of God and of his word... The Antichrist is going to come as that angel of light, this man possessed by Satan. Satan, you see, he, he believes he should be God, so he duplicates everything. 
He'll probably have a supposed virgin birth himself. He'll probably claim to be the son of God himself. And after he creates this religion, he goes on the three and a half year period of the tribulation. He sits on the Holy of Holies of the rebuilt temple and proclaims himself God. He wants that. And so again, when we, when we come and say, well, was there a virgin birth or not? Who cares? Either the Bible is 100% true or it's, if there's one mistake, it's 100% false because the Bible claims to be the perfect and errant word of God. It claims it of itself. I'm not claiming that of it. The Bible itself claims that of itself. It says that every word here written, Jesus said, not one jot or tittle, not one comma or breath mark will ever pass away. It'd be easier for heavens and the earth to pass away. All of God's word is God himself speaking, and God is true. Therefore, all his words have to also be true. And so he goes on in verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and powers. Once again, it's in him. I, was, I just want to say it again. It's in him. It's in the relationship with Christ, the daily walking with Christ, the personal relationship with Christ. Do you know Jesus intimately every day? Do you, you, do you take Jesus and put him in the closet after church on Sunday and then let him out of the closet on the next Sunday? Or in him are you living and moving and having your being? Just driving, I'm praying. Going to sleep at night, I'm praying. I'm meditating on the word. God's speaking to me through his spirit. And he says, you are complete in him. Now, you won't catch this in our English. But this word complete is in the perfect tense in this participle. Okay? This is a verb of the noun, palermo. Do you remember a minute ago? Palermo, I mentioned the fullness this is the same word, it's the verb. So you in the past have received as a gift from God the fullness of God. At the moment you were born again, you went into the God and God went into you for all of eternity. Your name was written in the book of life. So at one moment in the past, you were complete. You were full in Christ. And now it's a past action that continues in the present and into the future. You're never not complete in Christ. We see this in the prodigal son story, don't we? The son was so upset with the father that he took the bag of money. I can't wait till you die, dad. Give me the inheritance. Father gives it to him. He goes out. He's finally in the pig pen after several years. And what does the son realize? I was already complete in my father's house. I wonder if that can ever happen again. No, no, dad, dad's gracious, but I'll probably be the lowest slave in our household and, and I'll live in the back of the barn and that's okay. I don't deserve more. And he comes back and what does the father do? The only time in the entire Bible we ever see God in a hurry. Only time we ever see God running. He runs towards him and he surrounds him and hugs him and gives him a robe and gives him a ring and puts sandals upon him. And, and he's like, yes, my son who was dead is alive. He was found. 
was lost is found, you are again, because he never was not complete in him, in him. We're complete when we're in him. When we're not walking in obedience and submission, then we feel the fact that we're not complete, whole, completely right. And so what do we have to do? We have to receive that. We have to receive of that fullness. We have to walk in that fullness. If we don't receive it, if we don't submit to it, if we don't walk in it, if we're not meditating the word day and night, if we're not praying without ceasing, that doesn't mean we're not saved. That just means we're not living, as Chuck used to always say, living under the spout where the blessings flow out. And, and maybe trial and error it takes with you, I don't know. But there's eventually, you're going to realize, as shiny as the objects are out there in the world, when I get there, they're not shiny at all, right? Oh, man, that, 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 that relationship. You know, one thing that's always amazed me is that when guys have affairs on their wife, the woman they have an affair with is ugly compared to their wife. But yet in their brain, it's like, oh, there's my completeness. You know, that's my soulmate out there. I married her too early. That's my soulmate. And then they always say, I feel like I'm in high school again. And then they always lose weight. They're like, look, it's even helping me physically. All those things always go together. But you know what's going to happen is wherever you go, there you are. You screwed up the last marriage, you'll screw up the next marriage. It's you. You're the part of the problem if you're always looking for something outside of Christ to complete you. In this world, it will not complete you. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and, let's not forget, truth. How are you complete in Christ? Living in that grace, being a person of grace, a grace man. And then also eating up the truth. We need the truth. The truth is our nutrients. The truth is our meat and our bread. And if you're not getting that, you start getting hungry. You start getting weak. We've got to daily be in the word and prayer and eat that up. And then it says, of his fullness, in John 1.16, we have all received grace upon grace. Skipping on over in the head of all principalities and powers. Christ is not only over all those levels of angels, which don't exist, but if there was a level of angels, Christ is all over all of them. Christ is the fullness of God dwells, and he is over everything. The entire angelic realm that you say exists, Christ isn't one of the, on one of those levels. He is over all principalities and powers. He's not a part of the realm. He is the head over all the realm. So concluding here today, the systems of thought and the premise of which is not according to Christ, not according to the word of God. We need to watch out, Paul said. We'll get cheated. We'll get ripped off of the fellowship with God. We'll get ripped off of God's presence in our life. And because he is God, in him we are complete, full, whole, healed, we are forgiven and filled with his life, with his works. Not something for us to achieve, only faith to receive. The fullness is not something we're achieving to. All cults will tell you, the fullness is becoming this good Mormon. No more coffee. You know, 
give us this amount of money. Start living this way. Start, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't. You want to be full in the Eastern religion? Well, you got to start, you know, living this way. Be vegetarian. Wear these beads and dress this way and shave your head. And you, you want to be, you want to achieve it. The Jehovah Witnesses tell you, you got to go knocking on doors every weekend. Every religion, except for Christianity, will put you on a track to achieve the next level, whatever it is. Christianity says you're at the top level the moment you receive Jesus, the moment you believe in Jesus. It's a relationship. How do you remain full? Enjoying him in grace and the truth. If you're not full, it's because you've walked away from the grace and the truth. Right? I mean, if you were physically on earth with Jesus, and you're going, man, I, want, I don't have truth. I'm hungry. I feel achy. I, I feel empty. I'd say, where's Jesus at? Oh, he's over at Capernaum this week. I don't care what's going on. I, I, I'm not going to work the next couple of days. Well, you don't work, you're fired. Fire me. I'm gonna, I got to get over there. Ah, I'm on the front row. Jesus, teach us. Oh, I'm filled again. Oh, I want to be with him. Where's he sleeping? Let's find out. Where's he eating? Let's find You would just want, this is it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. They shall be filled. Blessed are the hunger and thirst. Blessed are us when we're needing fullness every day from this world that's emptying us out and beating us up and telling us a bunch of lies. Insanity. We are literally, America now is an insane asylum. And whoever thinks sanely is the insane ones because the guards and the warden of the insane asylum are more insane than any of the people in this asylum. And to just try to stay sane every day, how much more we need God and his word than we've ever before in the past. Lord, thank you for your word today. Let it go deep, deep, deep into our hearts. Let the truth, Lord, be known today and let your truth set us free. If you're here today and you're been feeling that emptiness and you've been wondering why. It's because you need to come back to that place, to fellowshipping with Jesus like you did in that first love. Daily in the word, daily praying without ceasing, daily fellowshipping, maybe coming to church or one of the Bible studies throughout the week. Experience it. It's a fact. You are complete in him. It's a fact he is completely there to fill up every need, every hunger, every desire, every want you have. You just have to, by faith, come and receive it. If that's you today for salvation, you've never just simply received Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross when he paid for all your sins. Just say, Lord, I receive you. You alone are the way to the Father. No other way unto heaven except through you. I know you are the one. Put your faith in him right now. If you've been wandering away, trying to live the prodigal life, running after one shiny thing after the next shiny thing, repent. Come back into the arms of the Father. You are his son. He's not going to make you a slave in the barn. <laughs> He's going to give you full access always into that throne of grace. Come back to him and Bless your people today in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.